This is the primal scream of a dying regime. Pray for our enemies, because we're going medieval on these people. Here's I got a free shot on all these networks lying about the people. The people have had a belly full of it. I know you don't like hearing that. I know you try to do everything in the world to stop that, but you're not going to stop it. It's going to happen. And where do people like that go to share the big lie? MAGA media. I wish in my soul, I wish that any of these people had a conscience. Ask yourself, what is my task and what is my purpose? If that answer is to save my country, this country will be saved. War Room. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Good evening from New York. I'm Chris Hayes. It is not often the case these days, but today the Supreme Court issued a long anticipated monumental ruling that actually bolsters America's democratic strength. Now, the case before the court today contained at its core an idea that was central to the Donald Trump scheme to overturn the 2020 elections. The question of whether state legislatures can do whatever they want in elections, up to and including simply appointing electors to their preferred candidate, even when the citizens of their state vote the other way. Trump's lawyers pushed the idea that Republican legislators in all kinds of states could simply ignore the will of the people in states that voted for Joe Biden and opt instead to send their own fake electors, Trump electors, to Congress. It was fake electors in seven swing states, Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, New Mexico, and Nevada, that in coordination with the Trump campaign sought to overthrow the election results. Trump and his lawyer, John Eastman, along with others, actively lobbied for and pushed this idea across multiple states, trying, in fact, to get state legislatures to abandon their core democratic duty and choose instead a path to essentially crown Trump king. The court has rejected a controversial legal theory that would have transformed election laws across this country. The case involved a disputed congressional district map in North Carolina that was drawn by Republicans. Now, the state argued that the Constitution gives legislators nearly unlimited power to make rules for presidential and congressional elections in their states. On a six to three vote, the justices dismissed the independent state legislature theory, that's what it's called. The decision written by Chief Justice John Roberts maintains this, that state courts can decide disputes over election law. Major ruling yesterday from the Supreme Court, which made it more difficult for the big lie to repeat itself in 2024. The case, Moore versus Harper, based out of North Carolina, centered on a radical theory known as the independent state legislature theory. It would have given state legislatures virtually unchecked power over federal elections based on an extreme interpretation of the Constitution's elections clause. In a six to three ruling, the Supreme Court rejected that anti-democratic theory with Chief Justice John Roberts and Justices Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett siding with the liberals. In his opinion, the Chief Justice writes, the elections clause does not insulate state legislatures from the ordinary exercise of state judicial review, adding that the legislatures, the framers recognized, are the mere creatures of the state constitutions and cannot be greater than their creators. John Eastman, a legal advisor to Donald Trump, embraced this fringe theory as a way to overturn the 2020 election, arguing that then Vice President Mike Pence had the power to refuse 
to certify the results. In an email exchange with NBC News, Eastman claimed the ruling would prevent legislatures from addressing illegality and fraud in a timely manner. When asked if the ruling invalidates the arguments he made in 2020, Eastman wrote, quote, no, but it will be murkier than it was previously. Joining us now to delve deeper into this ruling, senior legal affairs reporter at Politico, Josh Gerstein. Josh, talk about, if you could, what was at stake? Well, this is pretty significant, uh, Mika, on two different fronts. Uh, one, the one you just mentioned involving the 2024 presidential race and the possibility that you could have seen uh, Republicans, specifically uh, former President Trump, put forward this kind of effort to uh, put state legislatures on steroids, you might say, to say that they could be the ultimate mm -hmm. arbiter of who won an election in their state. Uh, and that obviously uh, could have led to post-election chaos. Uh, that That is the plan that the Trump team tried to start to run in 2020, but basically got cut off at the pass. And the Supreme Court, through the reasoning of its ruling, makes it seem like that's a lot less likely here. The second front, of course, is the issue of uh, control of the U.S. House of Representatives. And, and this decision seemed to uh, shift the ground in favor of okay. Democrats. In, let me um, let me let me let me jump in here. Um because we've got a lot of work today to do today, so strap in. Um, Tuesday, 27 June. Excuse me, it's Wednesday, the 28th of June. I'm gonna catch up with the, I'm gonna catch up with the day today. We're a little, uh, you know, we're we got our head down here at the war room. John Eastman's going to join us in a minute. I I want to make sure everyone understands the, um, as we said yesterday on the show when it first came out, the blockbuster nature of this. Um, of this ruling yesterday. I think also what it means for where we spend our time and who you back, because now it's becoming clearer and clearer that uh, the Bush kind of, you know, the, the, the Chevy Chase uh, Republicans are, are not going to be, uh, you know, following the Constitution. This is just an outrageous decision. It's really outrageous that... Uh, you know, Kavanaugh and Roberts in particular, the Chevy Chase crowd, went against this. Um, and you saw where the rocks of Gibraltar, Justice Alito, Justice Thomas, and Justice Gorsuch, and you ought to read their dissenting opinions, quite powerful. So we got two things we're going to do. Eastman's going to come on, we're going to explain what, what actually took place and why this is so against the Constitution and taking powers away from the state legislatures which is what the uh, framers and the founders wanted, um, and really consolidating power into the apparatus. But we're also going to talk about what we have to do to fight back, particularly in the redistricting. The reason I wanted to start the show with this today, this audience was absolutely central to the redistricting fights that took place in, uh, in 21 and 22 to make sure that these are fair. These are not about partisan maps. These are not about Republican maps. These are not about MAGA maps. These are about having fair... Uh, redistricting efforts in these states that reflect the states themselves in both uh, Missouri and in um, Florida, particularly because DeSantis at the time was asleep at the switch. I realized a lot of his fanboys saying, Oh no, 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 he was, he was not on it. Okay. We know we were there. He, he got his mind right and did, did the right thing at the end. But at the beginning he was not there. Uh, and the folks in the Tennessee legislature were really the, the, the ones that showed the way, that led the way on this. 
want to bring in Alex DeGrasse. Alex, so talk to us. I'm going to get uh, Eastman on in a minute to talk about the theory and the, and the, and the practicality of the state legislature. But talk to me about the work ahead. What, what do we have to do to make sure we are fighting and as we always fought for fair redistricting that reflects the population of the state and the repopulation of these areas? Walk me through what we have to do. So I think what this unfortunate court decision puts it in front of us is these state Supreme Courts now are probably the most important seat of power in our country, other than probably the presidency, of course. But they'll determine election integrity issues, and they're going to determine, obviously, the redistricting. And so you have a couple of things at play here. We just lost Wisconsin for the first time, I think, in a decade or two, which was a disaster. And I know this show and Scott Presler and folks were really trying to force the issue to get people involved and get out to vote. And we lost it. Um, we were able to flip Ohio, flip North Carolina. So that's critical. So those maps will be revisited, of course. In some states, it's a sort of a status quo situation in New York where unfortunately even the liberal court is better than the state legislator, we're looking at our maps being tossed and we should have, uh, you know, we should have the uh, result of that court case within a month. So what's at play, Steve, in the short term is eight seats, I think, a delta. So we could pick up seats depending on if people hold the line and we get aggressive and push things through in North Carolina, Ohio, if we could hold the line in Alabama, we've got a court case up to the Supreme Court in South Carolina on racial gerrymandering that Mark Elias is bringing. So you obviously, you know, it's a scam. And then obviously New York with the Delta of four seats there. So Wisconsin, I think it's going to go down one or two against us. So a lot at play here, but the key is state Supreme court races are now, I think the most important election other than the presidency. What um, these redistrictings in North Carolina and Ohio, just walk me through the simple math as you see what a fair map is and what are we actually fighting for? Because with this situation what in Alabama and Louisiana, they could change these districts. I mean, we could be back to a uh, an even house right at the gate. Talk about Ohio and North Carolina. And are there other opportunities out there like Ohio and North Carolina? Right now, the, the, the states that are sort of up in play, you have New York, where it's sort of against us. We have Wisconsin, which is against us. Collectively, that could be about six seats swung against us. So that's net negative six seats. North Carolina, there could be two, three seats uh, where if there were fair lines, you could have either more Republican-leaning seats or a few more safe Republican seats. Ohio is the same thing. So that's one or two there. So that gets us almost to a kind of a net break even across the board, maybe down one or two. South Carolina, that's next fall. They're going to be revisiting that. And then Ohio, Alabama and Louisiana, I believe, don't quote me, but I think they're going to try to put seats up that would reflect somewhat of the same partisan um, demographics while having to change yeah, the race. It's, it's, it, it's go- th- that's going to be net one out of each Alabama. And so, I mean, best case – it's a your best case. You're saying it's a break even if we deliver Ohio and North Carolina. It's a break even, right? Right now, what is a five seat majority? And you're saying this could be net down to to break even at best, and maybe much worse. It could be much worse uh, if we hold New York. New York is going to be key because that's where the biggest delta is. And you know, we we have a great argument that we think that Mark Elias's case is a, is an unmitigated fraud. 
and probably one of the most blatant attempts to steal the election right in front of us. So we don't have much faith in a way that it is a Democrat court. And this thing goes all the way to the top. They actually swapped out a judge and I believe blackmailed a former Republican then appointed by Cuomo, head of the appeals court, to get her out of the way just to jam through this court case. So this thing goes all the way to the top. You see, as you saw the lead of the show, all the mainstream media talking about it. You've got Obama weighing in, Holder, every Democrat person, they've all got the talking points, fringe legal theory. You know what I mean? This whole thing, it's all centralized, all a massive power grab. But I mean, there's a small chance we pick up seats here if everything holds the line and we win that New York court case. If we lose the New York court case, it gets very tough because we could lose one or two down south, Wisconsin one or two, hold New York and then pick up, you know, three, four um, in North Carolina, Ohio. Yeah. Okay, Alex, where do, what's your social media? How do you get to you? Because this is another, the, obviously the, the Warren Posse was on this, and we're going to have to, to, to give him this, uh, this blockbuster decision. And you got, when you say Mark Elias in, you know, uh, illegal, uh, bad character, you know, thing, that's all true. But he wins, and he could win here in, in New York. People got to savvy up to that. We don't have a Mark Elias. And I know people say you can't say they can't build him up. Hey, I'm just dealing with facts. I'm dealing with fact. He's a bad guy. He's an evil guy, but he's an effective guy. And they're winning on this topic right now. They're winning. I'm gonna get. I got Eastman here in a minute. Where Where are they going? Your social media to to um, to uh, to get you and track this. So the most important thing I think if people go to gopbattlegroundfund.com that talks about some of our efforts in New York. Gopbattlegroundfund.com that's critical. But I'm on social at Degras at Degras eighty one Truth Getter. All of it, um, you know, Politico just did the big, big headline, millions of dollars going to be pouring into these state Supreme Court races. So it's a big fight up ahead. Oh, yeah. So thank you. Lead story in Politico this morning about how, you know, and we talked yesterday about the litigation. This the, this decision is the full employment program for Mark Elias and his type. And it's going to you're going to pour the fights for these Supreme Courts. And we told people about Wisconsin. I mean, we didn't really know the guy they put in Wisconsin, but he didn't seem like was on top of things. And the people in Wisconsin, the establishment up there and others just kind of let it go. OK, uh, Alex, Travel. great. Thank you very much for kicking us off this morning. John Eastman next. We're also going to go to Texas. Two big stories a day on the front page of papers deal directly with the war room. The Guardian is lying about the situation with solar power in the grid in Texas. Dave Walsh is here to tell you the truth. Also, the front page of the Wall Street Journal is the article about Sequoia Capital. There's a lot more to expose there. John Eastman, Dave Walsh, next in the war room. Well, Congress once again allowed itself to be pushed into appeasing the administration and raising the debt ceiling for the 79th time, paving the way for continued reckless spending and further devaluation of the U.S. dollar. As our national debt continues to skyrocket, how are you protecting your savings? Times like these are a great reminder to diversify a portion of your savings into gold. And you can do that with the help of Birch Gold. Here's the easiest way to do it. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold, and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. As BRICS, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa band together against the dollar, 
more and more central banks are diversifying. You know what they're buying. Gold. Follow their lead. Text Bannon, B-A-N-N-O-N, to 989898 for your free info kit on gold. There's no obligation, just information. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau and thousands of happy customers, Birch Gold can help protect your savings, too. Text Bannon, B-A-N-N-O-N, to 989898. Do it today. Follow the central banks of the BRICS. Take action, 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 and take that action today. Says it is not often the case these days, but today the Supreme Court issued a long-anticipated monumental ruling that actually bolsters America's democratic strength. Now, the case before the court today contained at its core an idea that was central to the Donald Trump scheme to overturn the 2020 elections. The question of whether state legislatures can do whatever they want in elections, up to and including simply appointing electors to their preferred candidate, even when the citizens of their state vote the other way. Trump's lawyers pushed the idea that Republican legislators in all kinds of states could simply ignore the will of the people in states that voted for Joe Biden and opt instead to send their own fake electors, Trump electors, to Congress. It was fake electors in seven swing states, Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, New Mexico, and Nevada, that in coordination with the Trump campaign sought to overthrow the election results. Trump and his lawyer, John Eastman, along with others, actively lobbied for and pushed this idea across multiple states, trying, in fact, to get state legislatures to abandon their core democratic duty and choose instead a path to essentially crown Trump king court has rejected a controversial legal theory that would have transformed election laws across this country. The case involved a disputed congressional district map in North Carolina that was drawn by Republicans. Now, the state argued that the Constitution gives legislators nearly unlimited power to make rules for presidential and congressional elections in their states. On a six to three vote, the justices dismissed the independent state legislature theory. That's what it's called. The decision written by Chief Justice John Roberts maintains this, that state courts can decide disputes over election law. Major ruling yesterday from the Supreme Court, which made it more difficult for the big lie to repeat itself in 2024. The case, Moore versus Harper, based out of North Carolina, centered on a radical theory known as the independent state legislature theory. It would have given state legislatures virtually unchecked power over federal elections based on an extreme interpretation of the Constitution's elections clause. In a six to three ruling, the Supreme Court rejected that anti-democratic theory with Chief Justice John Roberts and Justices Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett siding with the liberals. In his opinion, the Chief Justice writes, the elections clause does not insulate state legislatures from the ordinary exercise of state judicial review, adding that the legislatures, the framers recognized, are the mere creatures of the state constitutions and cannot be greater than their creators. John Eastman, a legal advisor to Donald Trump, embraced this fringe theory as a way to overturn the 2020 election, arguing that then Vice President... Okay, okay. Okay, John Eastman joins us now. John Eastman, is this a fringe theory? I want you to walk through the theory of the case here, why this was such a radical decision yesterday. And I want to tell people, 
this is signal, not noise. This is going to change the battlefield, and you're going to have to. I realize you're the hardest working people in the MAGA movement, but you got to man up here because this is going to be ugly. It's going to be a grind. John Eastman, was this a radical fringe theory, sir? Well, for the first half, half century of our nation's history, the state legislatures simply chose the electors themselves. That's because unambiguously, the Constitution assigns the power to direct the manner of choosing presidential electors to the legislature. Unambiguous. There's no dispute about that. Uh, you, anybody can pick up Article 2 of their Constitution and look at it. It's right there. Um, and if it's such a fringe theory, it's a little odd that I got uh, several justices agreeing with me. Uh, that typically doesn't happen on fringe theories. Uh, uh, but but more importantly, and I want to go after this theme that you know all of those news accounts said that this is uh, going to bolster democracy. What we're doing here is taking the power to direct the manner of choosing electors from the most democratic branch, the legislature, and handing it over to the state courts, the least democratic branch. And yet this is somehow bolstering democracy to let courts, you know, pick a phrase in their state constitution that says, you know, you have to have free elections and use that to impose its own election code, contrary to what the state legislatures does. If they decide, well, we got to have no excuse. Uh, mail-in voting and the legislature disagrees, well, we think it's necessary for fair elections, so we're going to order it. Uh, signature verification uh, in order to eliminate the risk of fraud or reduce the risk of fraud, well, we don't like that, so we're going to get rid of that because we don't think that's fair. Uh, you, you, and, and these are oftentimes unelected judges or at the very least certainly less accountable than the state legislators are. The notion that this is undermining uh, democracy by letting the power stay where the Constitution vests it is is rather bizarre. Uh, and and the other thing I want to point out, they all say, well, we, we were using this to overturn the election and and undermine the will of the people. No, we weren't. As you know well, um, we were trying to understand who the true winner was in order to bolster or enhance the will of the people. If there were illegal votes that were cast because of decisions by uh, county clerks or state Supreme Court uh, judges or or uh, secretaries of state, illegal votes that determine the outcome of the election. And if you count only the legal votes, Trump would have won. That's upholding the will of the people, not undermining it. So this narrative, this big lie narrative and that, but, that they and, keep and, fostering. And hang on, and hang on, and, but hang on, but hang on. Isn't that for the state legislatures? This whole thing was not about new electors or anything like that. It's about the certification by the state legislatures of their election process, and you're absolutely correct. The all votes versus the certifiable chain of custody legal votes is the. I just want to go back because you, you had Roberts and Kavanaugh. What does the Constitution say? What just what does the Constitution say? And where did the framers and the founders of this nation put this power about the whole systems of uh, of uh, of uh, electors? Yeah, it says the states. Uh, in the manner chosen by the – shall direct the, the manner of choosing electors, uh, the states by the legislature thereof shall choose the manner or direct the manner of choosing presidential electors. It parallels the clause that was at okay, issue. For, uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. For, for, and was that not reinforced? Isn't this why they changed the Electoral Count Act of 1887 in the middle of the night and jammed it into an omnibus bill? Right? It, it, I mean it, this is as clear as it can get. Of it. Yeah, no, exactly. This yeah, is part well, of it. So, so whole, here's my point, just because I'm not a constitutional scholar like you. If that is in the Constitution, what, are Roberts, what does Roberts argue that this had shift 
and and the courts and others should get involved in this process. How how can they reinterpret the Constitution like that? Well, their 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 argument is that well, back at the time of the founding, it was customary for state courts. Uh, to have judicial review over things their legislature did. But that was when the legislature is acting pursuant to the state constitution. When they're acting pursuant to the federal constitution, their power comes directly from the federal constitution. And of course, they're bound by constraints in the federal constitution. But to say that they are also bound by constraints or limitations in their state constitution is to that extent to take the power the federal constitution gives to them away. Uh, and I'll give you one example. And Justice Ro- Chief Justice Roberts knew this well a decade ago. He writes a dissent in the Arizona uh, Redistricting Commission case that's very powerful and very persuasive. He said there are nine or ten places where the Constitution uh, gives power not to the state but to the state legislature, uh, like when they decide whether to ratify a constitutional amendment. Uh, and we've now opened the door saying, well, if they ratify the constitutional amendment and there's some provision in their state constitution that says they can only ratify fair amendments, then the state court is going to decide whether it can be ratified or not. Um, this is this is a radical departure uh, from the uh, federal constitution. And, 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 you know, from decades, half a century, like I said, uh, states were choosing their own electors in many instances, all the way up to 1860 for South Carolina. Um, choosing their own electors. They, the, the election for state legislatures leading up to the presidential election year would often turn on who you were supporting for president, so who you're going to cast the vote for in your state legislature. But, but that's clear. And the Supreme Court uh, uh, over a century ago called that power plenary, meaning it, knows, it, knows it doesn't answer to anybody else, because they wanted the power in the branch of government most directly accountable to the people. Not in not in an unelected judiciary or uh, or even when the judiciary is elected, they're not kind of elected routinely and frequently like the state legislature is. So going forward, according to this ruling, going forward, the state legislature, like we saw in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, all these rule changes they had and some were unconstitutional, uh, you know, the two signature verification of the mail in ballots, all of this in 2024. Walk me through how how does this work in 2024? Well, it's going to be a, a, a lawfare bonanza. Uh, uh, it, so you know, there's a line in there. Justice Thomas, in his dissent, points out points this out. Um, it says that the legislature is subject to the ordinary uh, judicial review, um, but then it says, uh, uh, I want to get the language here. Uh, so judicial review, but only as long as it doesn't, quote, transgress the ordinary bounds of judicial review, such that the courts aggregate to themselves the power vested in the state legislatures to regulate federal elections. So so when when is a court decision striking down an aspect of uh, state election law uh, uh, in the ordinary power of judicial review, or is it transgressing those ordinary bounds? Um, and, and, you know, there's no answer to that. It's just going to be a raw exercise of power by the courts. And then the question is, how often will the Supreme Court step in to limit what the state courts are doing? We saw this in 2000 in Florida. The state court was simply changing the rules of the election after the fact uh, with, with a partisan bent. You know, one of the reasons you have rules in advance is that when you pass the rules, nobody knows who they're going to benefit. 
when you allow for rules to be changed in the middle of the game, you, you, you know, every single change, you know, you know which side that's going to benefit. If you weaken, if you weaken absentee ballot uh, verification rules and you know that one side is relying much more heavily on absentee ballots than the other, that's a partisan decision to benefit one side. John, can you hang on for one second? We're going to just hold you to sure. the break. I understand you're very busy out there today. We'll talk about that in a second. John Eastman, Dave Walsh. Uh, we got Mark Mitchell on some polling. All next in the war room. And you are over. Because we're taking down the CCP. Spread the word all through Hong Kong. We will fight till they're all gone. We rejoice when there's no more. Let's take down the CCP. When's the last time you checked the legal title to your home? Why? Because most victims of home title theft don't know they're a victim until it's too late. Like this homeowner. Check this out. She was getting ready for a home remodel when everything got shut down. She discovered her property wasn't in her name anymore. She was a victim of a devastating crime called home title theft. A criminal had forged the deed to her home and took over as the new owner. Now she's fighting back to get her home back. This is why I say if you own a home or a property, get home title lock. Your home property and equity are the most valuable assets you have. By the way, there's reported 80 to 90 percent of your net worth, of average American's net worth, is in their home. And home title lock helps you protect them. Home title lock puts a 24-7 shield around your home's title. Let me repeat. A 24-hour, 7-day-a-week, 365-day shield around your home's title. The instant they detect activity or tampering, they help shut it down fast. First things first, you need to verify you aren't already a victim of home title theft. Find out for free with a sign-up when you use promo code Bannon. That's promo code Bannon at HomeTitleLock.com. Go to HomeTitleLock.com. Promo code Bannon. And when you sign up, your first 30 days of protection are free. Do this today at HomeTitleLock.com. Promo code Bannon. Protect yourself. Do it today. Take action. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Okay, welcome back. Um, John Eastman, I just want to revisit this before I ask you how we go forward is... And this shows you the cowardice of John Roberts. And I want everybody in this audience to fully understand this. What Bushies are like. Go back to that Arizona opinion and how adamant and how strong his dissent was. And specifically what he said about the state legislature. And then compare and contrast that to what he did now that they've protested at his home. I mean, look, these guys cratered to the mob. This is French Revolution stuff. This is they cratered to the mob because they're afraid. They're afraid and they don't want to go against that. You saw that we started. And by the way, we could have played two hours of just clips like that for our cold open today. Two hours of just, you know, radical theory, French theory, you know, Trump. They want to crown Trump king. There's no, no discussion ever about crowning President Trump king. The 2020 election will always be a scar on the American electoral process. And I've said from day one that Joe Biden's illegitimate, illegitimate presidency. I'll never back off that. That's my belief in my thinking as a free American citizen. 
and we can back it up with receipts that they don't want to ever address. John, so, but I just want to focus on Roberts because this gets to the hub of it. This is why people were so, quite frankly, enthusiastic, although this thing shouldn't have even been brought. It should have been taken off given the reversal in North Carolina. But he wanted to do it. He wanted to take it. There was no need to, to have this actually be argued. He wanted it. And he wanted it to show the left that he's a good little boy. He's a good little boy and he's in his place. That's exactly what this is all about. Go back to and don't take it from me. Take it from his written opinions. I want to just highlight Arizona 10 years ago with what he said, uh, you know, that got released yesterday, John Eastman. Well, he goes through every clause in the Constitution that mentions the word state or legislature. And, and you know, when it says that there's a power in the state or a reserved power in the state, they mean the whole state apparatus, according to the state constitution. But when uh, it says the legislature of the state, that's specific, and it's referring to a particular body. And so uh, uh, if, if you're going to split a part of your state off and form a new state, like happened with West Virginia uh, in this, during the Civil War from Virginia – uh, the legislature of the state has to approve. That doesn't mean the legislature of the state subject to judicial review, subject to the governor's signature. If you're going to approve uh, a constitutional amendment, Congress has two routes. They can send it to a constitutional convention in your state or they can send it to the legislature of the state. And, and there's a Supreme Court case that says even the lieutenant governor presiding over that session doesn't get to cast the deciding vote. Um, because that's no longer the legislature of the state. So all of these mechanisms in the state constitution, you want to call yourself into special session to deal with election fraud? Uh, you get to do that. Uh, you don't have to wait for the governor to call you into special session. That's a constraint on your normal legislative powers that the con state constitution provides that doesn't apply, or at least according to Roberts at the time, didn't apply uh, in, in the context of exercising powers that you have from the federal constitution. So that was all clear and very persuasively argued in Justice, Chief Justice Roberts's dissent 10 years ago. Uh, and that was a 5-4 decision. One expected that uh, with the change in personnel since then, uh, that Roberts' uh, th uh, views then would become the majority views of the court. Um, where do we go from here on this topic? Well, we got, we got to ramp up. Uh, I mean, the Democrats are spending tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars on lawfare. Um, they're, they're, they're doing it in two ways. They're on offense. Uh, they're on offense in, in the state, the state courts trying to alter election laws that they don't like, uh, weakening signature verification to open the door for fraud, uh, we getting rid of voter ID requirements, all these things. And if the legislatures don't comply uh, with their demands and their pressure, they will now try and get friendly courts to do so. And in many cases, they will find them. Uh, they're also on offense keeping the rest of us on defense. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's the larger story of my bar trial, uh, the 65 projects uh, uh, seeking to disbar all of the Trump lawyers keep us on our heels so we can't be ramped up uh, in time for the 2024 election because we're fighting for our our uh, professional lives. Uh, and and uh, and also and this is important. And the head of the 65 project has admitted as much. Our goal is not just to get them all disbarred. 
but to make them so toxic in their firms and communities that right-wing legal talent will never want to step up and, and bring these election challenges again. They're trying to clear the field so that they have an unhindered uh, path toward doing an election law, whatever they want, and that if the election is wonky or illegal or fraudulent, there won't be anybody willing to put their head above the sand and take on the challenge. If you want to see the cowardice, just look in John Roberts, Exhibit 1 in a Coward. And, and this is what's going to happen to these law firms. This is lawfare. Hey, this is where Mark Elias and, and, and the 65 projects, these are bad people. But they play smash mouth. And this is the lesson that we have to take from this. You're going to have to fight fire with fire. If you want to defeat these guys, they, they control the law schools. They control these big law firms. And they're coming at you. And, and guys like Roberts are what most lawyers are, gutless cowards. That's why we need heroes to step up here, and we, we need to do it now. This is like you've got to break the glass on this. Go to general quarters. You've got to get some legal talent. We've got to fight this. And I'm telling you, I call it the Mark Elias Full Employment Program. This is going to be a range war like you've never seen before. And John, and John Eastman is exactly correct. You're, you're gonna, it's going to be 10 times worse in 2020, and it's here now. And this was not close. It was a 6-3 decision. You had Kavanaugh and Barrett, who knows? But Kavanaugh and Roberts with the Chevy Chase, you can see they got the mob, and you have to give them credit. They have to give them credit. They, they unleashed the mob on these guys and went to the homes, and everybody stood around. We covered it every second of every day. Mike Davis on here. It worked. Let's, let's, just, let's face reality. Let's not try to sugarcoat this. It worked. The mob went to their homes. Think about it for a second. In the United States of America, we had the attorney general, we had the apparatus of your government, and even the states. Where was Yunkin? Where, and, of course, Maryland's a bunch of commies. Um, they all looked, in fact, I think it was Hogan at the time, talking about a commie. They all looked the other way. In the suburbs around Virginia, they let him go. And remember, they, and Kavanaugh had an assassination attempt on him. Nobody said anything. Nobody did anything. He had war among other people. And finally, but they went out, the mob, the French Revolution mob, the Red Guard went out and had a str- they have a struggle session with them. And they won. Just remember that. They won. They won. And it was personified yesterday, which should have never happened. Absolutely against the Constitution. And more impor- as importantly, against what Justice Roberts argued so tightly. So that's why this was like coming out of, the, of a, a, a thunderclap from a clear blue summer sky. Absolutely went against everything he believed with this mumbo jumbo. And I think you got three pretty smart guys that dissented. I'll take the in, the intellect. You give me the combined intellect or you give me the intellect of any one of Alito, Thomas and Gorsuch against the collective intellect of the other six. OK, you give me that. I'll take any one of those guys and read what they had to say. <clears throat> This is outrageous, and I'm telling you, it's the Mark Elias Full Employment Program. And we need, I've said this, we needed a Mark Elias on our side, and we ain't got it. We ain't got close to it. And he, you're actually right. The project, the 65, these people, these are very smart, very tough, very cunning people. And the project, in the 65 project, it's not just a Keel Hall, um, uh, John Eastman on global television. 
right, uh, and, and give him a struggle session for days and days and days. But it's the following question. It's to make it so toxic, the topic so toxic that any kid that's in a top law school can't even talk about it in law school. And much can't go if you can't go to a real firm, you go to a firm and bring it up, you're out or you'll never get hired by a firm. And none of the firms with the heavyweight, the heavyweight lawyers will ever touch it will ever touch it. That's the way the system works. These people know the system, and they're going to leverage points in the system. They know how to use leverage. Look at this hapless group of clowns. Uh, McCarthy, look at all the information that has come out. And by the way, Tom Elliott, if Grayson Moe can put that up, Tom Elliott has got an amazing thing of just going through the 2020 election, not on the electoral side, but the FBI, just amazing. It's like a tweet that's got 10 items on it. McCarthy and these guys have all this, and they're running around. The, the investigation up there, all performative. God bless them. It's all performative. They're not, not, they're, not, they're not getting to the heart of it. The radical Democrats get to the heart of the matter. They get to the leverage point in a system and they choke that leverage point and they win. And they win. There is no substitute for victory. John Eastman, tell us about your struggle session and how can this audience help and assist you, sir? Well, we're we're uh, we're in week two, although we've been down the last two days because of illness of one of my my key lawyers. Um, but uh, we'll be back on tomorrow. It's being live streamed. Uh, the the press the press uh, accused me of whining about it being live streamed. It was the other side that actually asked for it not to be live streamed. I wanted it live streamed so people would see for a fact what's happening rather than uh, have it distorted through the lens of the L.A. Times or NBC News. Um, and uh, so, but we're now going to continue. We're not going to finish this week. They're not even going to finish with their witnesses, much less our case. Uh, so we're uh, continuing in the end of August, uh, at least another week there, maybe two. Uh, but it's it's you know it's expensive. I mean, we're you've got a full team of lawyers and courtroom techs and all that stuff. This is a full blown trial that I'm defending on the validity of the entire election, because on your show, I said there's lots of evidence of fraud and illegality. So now they're putting on all the all the government people trotting out saying, oh, no, our election was perfect. And anybody that says otherwise, you know, well, how dare they question the government? That's basically the theme. People need to help because I'm punching back and I need their help. They can go to my legal defense fund, givesendgo.com slash Eastman. We post updates there. You can make donations there. And as importantly, you can send prayers there. My wife and I read them. They're heartwarming yep. and they help. Uh, so please, please do what you can. This is just like Mao and the Red Guard. This is a struggle session. They're, they're using uh, Eastman as an example to every young lawyer out there. If you come here, if you go there, if you question authority, if you question the government, if you question the government, this is what will happen to you. You will be destroyed. You won't be able to make a living. You won't be able to feed your family. Uh, everything you've worked for, destroyed. Done. That's your lesson. So tell me what people in the modern world are supposed to do. Well, Was that the revolutionary uh, generation? Was that Patrick Henry? Was that Thomas Paine? Was that Sam Adams? Was that John Hancock? Was that Jefferson? Yeah. This These is what we're going to talk about in our special theme of the 4th of July. These are yeah. the times that try men's ahead, souls. Sir. and. These are the times that tries men's souls, and you need to stand up as patriots and not be summer soldiers or sunshine patriots. It's exactly the same, and people need to stand up. They need to first realize what's going on, and they need to not cower in the face of it. There are things more important uh, than you know a nice, comfortable life. We're talking about the future of freedom for the generations to come, and if you're not willing to stand up, you will have handed your grandkids a despotism that uh, they will suffer through 
in, in a way that you didn't inherit from your from your ancestors. So stand up and fight and stand up and help those that are standing up and fighting. By the way, you won't see any more protesters, I assure you, outside of Kavanaugh and Robert's home. They've kowtowed. <laughs> yep. Cucked, as we say. John Eastman, thank you very much, brother. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Mr. Bannon. Short Take break. Care. We're going to get to the grid in Texas. Thank you, sir. We're going to get to the grid in Texas with our own Dave Walsh next. It's all started. Everything's begun. And you are over. Because we're taking down the CCP. Spread the word all through Hong Kong. We will fight till they're all gone. We rejoice when there's no more. Let's take down the CCP. COVIDtaxrelief.org got a small retail business almost $80,000. COVIDtaxrelief.org got a manufacturing business nearly 250 grand. And COVIDtaxrelief.org just got a large distribution business almost $900,000. If you run a business, church, or nonprofit and paid your employees through all or part of the pandemic, you could qualify for up to $26,000 per employee through the government's CARES Act. But beware of clickbait or pay upfront companies who make you do the work and take a huge percentage of your refund. COVIDtaxrelief.org receives a low reasonable commission only after you receive your refund. And with 300 CPAs and tax experts, no one is better at getting you the maximum benefit than COVIDtaxrelief.org. Visit COVIDtaxrelief.org now because this plan expires soon. That's COVIDtaxrelief.org, COVIDtaxrelief.org. The refund examples are not a guarantee and not all businesses qualify. That's why you have to check today with COVIDtaxrelief.org. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Okay. <clears throat> So the world's newspapers uh, are, um, I don't say confronting is too hard a word, but they're addressing the issues and, and what we talk about every day here. I want to go first is the Guardian newspaper, their lead story. this morning. Remember, the Guardian is the most progressive paper in the world. It's kind of the railhead. It's, uh, it's even more progressive than the New York Times. I know that's hard to believe. And it's really a feeder system to MSNBC. So one connects with the other. Obviously, the New York Times, but the Guardian is kind of the... Because remember, the Americans still always defer to the British, uh, how they think, right? The Financial Times of London, the Times of London, uh, the Guardian. Dave Walsh, the lead story in the Guardian, Dave Walsh, effectively says you're either dead wrong or a liar. You can take your pick because the blazing headline is that, and we just had Dave on yesterday, that with this heat wave in Texas, thank God they've got solar. Because solar is going to actually see the Texans in the grid through this. Now, that is 180 out from the theory of the case of Dave Walsh in the war room. So, Dave, according to their article, the way, way they wrote it, who's right and who's wrong here? Well, of, of course, in times like these, when we're worried about peak day power, any, any source that runs is a good thing. Anyone. But here's the deal with this. This is irresponsible, uh, massively irresponsible. We're talking about another, in terms of what Texas needs, this is a yet another intermittent resource. 
that runs and operates in Texas about 27% of the time. Solar is used for electrical energy. I have a map of the U.S. that shows the solar concentration by part of the country that Denver has. If they want to throw that up, we can show that. But anyhow, solar is Please. effective in Texas about six and a half hours a day, leaving the other 17 and a half hours it doesn't operate. Wind, the trouble with wind is it operates 36% of the time and not 64% of the time. And you can't just add these two together and pretend that one compensates for the other because, frankly, they overlap about five-eighths. Here's, here's the wind variability daily in the U.S. for electric power generation. You can see that it varies by day. This is EIA, Energy Information Agency data, for 2001 showing, 2020, day by day by day, a 75% variability in wind power for electricity creation. Texas is actually worse than this. This is a U.S. map, more data points. Texas, a more condensed geographic region, subject to the same weather conditions, sameness of that is 87% daily variability. This is the problem with their dependence on wind. So we go to the, the next chart was the map of the U.S. on solar, but if we don't have that, what, there, there you go. This shows solar values by region of the country. And you can see if one could read the legend in the bottom right-hand corner is published by the National Renewable Electricity Labs. This isn't a conservative group. This is a, a front for renewables. The publisher of this data, it's good data. It shows that Texas on average is about a six and a half hour solar day. The rest of the time, the other 17 and a half hours, it produces nothing. Here's the problem with this. In, in Irving, for example, last night, uh, tonight, at uh, 10 p.m., it's going to be 93. At 11 p.m., it's going to be 91. At mid midnight, it's going to be 90. At 1 a.m., it's going to be 88 degrees. In Dallas, in the Metroplex today, solar stops operating at 5 o'clock, 5 p.m. So all of those hours beyond 5 p.m., it does nothing for you. So here again, and the point, then if you go to the cost of this, the cost of uh, Texas legislature and Senate has just passed a bill to incentivize building 10,000 megawatts of gas plants to back up this, this problem of intermittency that, that both of these resources have. It's going to provide them 96 million megawatt hours per year of electricity. That, that amount of annual electricity capacity in megawatt hours, if solar, would cost $48 billion passed to the ratepayers. The 10,000 or 96,000 megawatt, 96 million megawatt hours of gas-fired power will cost the ratepayers about $13 billion. $48 billion of solar, $13 billion if, if uh, conventional gas. And by the way, the solar still only gets you six and a half hours a day and massively overlaps with the same 36% of the time that wind operates. This is not the solution. Yes, yes. <clears throat> Yesterday, 18,000 people, I think, had a brownout. I think they're going to start blackouts here shortly, or maybe had blackouts. That's two combat divisions. How did Texas yeah. get into the situation where an advanced industrial power like Texas, with all the new stuff in Austin, everything they're doing, the chip manufacturing, how do we get in a situation? It's like a third world country. How did that happen? Well, national policy, uh, the policy on incentivizing building kinds of generation tend to be national through the tax codes. The tax codes have given a 35% incentive to renewable wind and solar. Developers in Texas have jumped on that. There is no regulated power generation in Texas. You have to get to the state house to mandate, and the governor, mandate uh, regulations. They don't have an energy department in Texas. And, and what's wound up happening is developers have built out for them. With the support of the state, 37% of their energy resource for electricity is renewable that is available only a very part-time. Again, 36 37% of the time, because most of it right now, 
is wind, that renewable resource that's been built. So the state has a massive continuous electricity shortage. And, and, and the worst problem with this is actually winter. Most every, everybody commenting on this recognizes and understands what Texas saw in January of 21 is a far worse problem. It's exactly the same thing. Down here in the south in winter mornings is the utter peak. And, and you have a, a massive shortfall. You have no solar capacity in the morning between 5 a.m. and 9 a.m. when you have massive demand or peak demand in the winter due to heat pumps coming on. When it's twenty degrees periodically in Texas, that's a bigger problem. We, Solar isn't there for you then. It we doesn't got about, work at that time of the day. We got a, we got about a minute. What, what do you forecast? What's going to happen in Texas in the next couple of days, next week? Well, we're not looking for weather relief until around the fourth of July. So we're going to be bumping up against. They have eighty-one thousand megawatts of total capacity. We've hit uh, seventy-eight, eight, and and uh, eighty thousand respectively. Two of the last four days. So we're going to have continued uh, announcements of voluntary power curtailment across ERCOT. Uh, we'll see how that works. Uh, if the temperatures don't abate, we may have uh, rolling brownouts uh, covering four-hour day periods, mo- mainly between 4 and 8 p.m. up through 10 p.m. that the, 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 te- the state is massively exposed to because it's, it's probably because of the shortage of power overall, about 15 times more exposed to an electricity shortage brownout than the rest of the country because reserve margins there are so, so low due to this massive over overabsorption of wind. Uh, real quickly, Dave, you're, uh, where do people go on social media to get you? And I'm on, uh, again, once again, uh, intermittent solar do- it doubles down on the problem, doesn't solve it. At Dave Walsh Energy at the Getter and True Social. For a great state like Texas, one of the most important states in the union, to be in this situation is absolutely, completely, and totally outrageous. Short break, Kirk Cameron will join us next. We rejoice when there's no more. Let's take down the CCP. They have all life for too long. Folks, let me tell you about Salty. It's a company that makes a soft gel supplement rich in antioxidants to help people like you and me keep a healthy heart. While COVID gets all the headlines, it's important to realize that heart disease kills nearly 700,000 Americans every year. Yes, heart disease is the number one killer every year, year in and year out. Heart disease builds over time. Hypertension, high blood pressure, bad cholesterol, diabetes, all of it affects our heart. A healthy heart is key to being energetic as we get older. It is never too early to take care of your heart. You see, heart disease sneaks up on us. You can start in your 30s, and when this happens, you're at serious risk by the time you turn 60. If you want to take care of your heart and those you care about, please go to warroomhealth.com. That's warroomhealth.com. All one word, warroomhealth.com. Use the code warroom at checkout to save 67% of your first shipment. That's code warroom at checkout to save 67%. And do it again. Warroomhealth, all one word, warroomhealth.com. Go there today. You need, if you're going to be part of the posse, you need a strong heart. You need a lion's heart. How we're going to do that is with Salty. Go there, do it today, check it out. 